Eagles Entertainment. With the 10th pick in the 2021 NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select... You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by Life Brand. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and today we continue our process series where I catch up with a guy that does outstanding work, Nate Tice, former NFL scout, former NFL quality control coach, and you can follow him on Twitter just like I do, at Nate underscore Tice. He does great work for The Athletic. He does it for Bleacher Report uh, this past offseason, covering the NFL draft, previewing this 2021 NFL draft class, and Nate jumps on the show to talk about his process, his background, his influencers, what he's taken away, how his process has evolved over the course of his career, both in college, in the NFL, and also now in the media. So I talk with Nate about all of those things. It's a really fun discussion. Hope you guys enjoy it as much as I did. Before we get there, just a reminder, we are just a couple of weeks away now from our conference previews. We're going to be breaking it down. Myself, Ben Fennel, Dane Brugler, the top prospects you need to know across every conference in major college football entering the 2021 season. We'll be doing that in the month of July. And then lastly, before we get started again, if you are listening, now it's just a quick reminder. Go on to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you listen. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. And if you're not already, go over and subscribe. It's the best time of year to get you geared up for 2022. Now is the time. You can just hit subscribe and get these, get these podcasts sent to your podcast device every single week throughout the course of the calendar year. doesn't get any better than that. All right, that being said, let's get into this conversation with Nate. I'm really excited for him. It's time now for Mr. Relevant. It's time for Mr. Relevant. Well, excited to be joined here on the Journey to the Draft podcast for the very first time. Nate Tice, you can find him over on the Athletic Football Show. He did great work this draft cycle for Bleacher Report as well. Uh, Nate, thanks for joining us here on the show. Thanks for having me. No, this is great. I'm excited. I know I, I, I took the plunge back into the draft world and then it's like, okay, I think I'm in, still in the shallow end right now <laughs> of, of the draft cycle. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's a, it's definitely unique, but I thought though, and I've said this to Brandon, I've said it numerous times here on the show. I thought what you guys did uh, this year over at Bleacher Report was awesome. Just a little bit of insight into the process that teams go through and people were, I think, taken aback by when you guys released that big board and you, you had some guys really, really high and some guys really low. And I was like, yeah, like we said this on the show, like this is what it's like in Rue. You guys think that everything is exactly how Mel Kuyper or uh, Dane Brugler or whoever, pick your favorite analyst. It, I thought it was good insight into the, the fact that there's going to be differing opinions everywhere. That, no, that's a great, great point. And that's what's so fun, I think, with scouting is – you know, a lot of us are just going to be a little bit better than a coin flip. You know, yeah, right. so now you're you're really trying to find that little edge you can, and and that's why it's fun not to be sometimes in the consensus and even inadvertently. Like uh, what was nice for me was I was so focused on the NFL and getting back into college. I was I, I had really a fresh eye on a lot of these college mm-hmm. guys. So some guys like Rashad Bateman is probably the number one example for me. I, only time I had watched him is when he torched Wisconsin Badgers. Like that, that is, that is it. That was my exposure. I knew he was good, but that was it. Yeah. I start watching him. That's a guy I have fresh eyes on him. So I'm like, Oh man, you know, I really like him for those types of players. It was fun. And it was really fun to be part of that discourse and kind of, you know, not argue your point, but maybe like, Oh, this is what I saw. And then it's like, it, like you said, it, it's sometimes that's what it is. It's that discussion that leads to maybe a different way to look at the consensus, even if it's for better or for worse. Uh, yep. I do think some group think is good, but then sometimes it's like, you know, maybe you do see something different. You just got to kind of like figure out why. Um, yeah. I think once you figure out the why you're seeing it different than other people, rather than just trying to be, you know, like a hipster 
uh, <laughs> trying right. to be like, oh, I'm different, you know, and all like that. But I think if if you really can find a point or two to go like, no, this is why I like him. I think it's fun because it just leads to discourse and discussion that people can learn from, or people can just go, Oh, you're an idiot. <laughs> I'm just going to move on with my day. But either way, it's, I think it's better for everybody. <laughs> and like I said, it is insight into basically what, what it's like in rooms, whether it's college or the NFL, yes. and you've got experience at both levels. And so uh, I guess let's transition into that. Take us through uh, your background. Obviously you've been around the game your entire life. So I don't know how far back we're going to go here for the start, but, but take us through the back to the beginning. Yeah, my my first job was a ball boy. So I, I truly, uh, I've been at every training camp since I was about eight years old and uh, um, every home game for the Vikings. You know, my dad was a coach. Uh, two of my uncles were played and coached as well. Um, I I just been around the game. I just kind of knew that's what I was going to do in, in high school. We had to do a thing like uh, for senior year, like what position would you play if you didn't play the position you were playing? And I said, coach, like, I, I knew I was going to do something outside of just playing. And uh, after I played at University of Wisconsin, uh, Paul Chris was the offensive coordinator when I was there. Brett Bion was the head coach. I followed Chris to Pitt and I was a GA there, graduate assistant for two years. Um, coach Chris is one of the biggest influences on my life, not just mm. football, but just I've learned a lot of lessons from him just being a man, which I, I, I as I've gotten older and now I'm married, I'm like, oh, wow, he, he was oh, he was very right. Sure. <laughs> um, but then after that, I got into scouting. I was a scouting assistant, did some pro scouting for the Atlanta Falcons. And then after that, I was a quality, quality control coach for the Raiders. Um, my dad was there. It was a really great opportunity that we had to work together for two years. Um, and after that, I, I did the AAF for a year, um, uh, which was a very fun learning experience. Sure. I shouldn't say fun, but it was a great learning experience. It was different, yeah. Um, about a lot of things. And since then, you know, I took to Twitter and uh, here we are on the show. <laughs> so so you, you were GA'd at Pitt and you QC'd yeah. with the Raiders. What are some of the big differences? Because obviously there's a lot of similarities, but yeah. were there differences in those two roles? Because I, I, they kind of serve the same function, just at different levels of the game. Yeah, uh, pay. Yeah, well, that's a big one. Yeah, that's a big one. But uh, no, but a lot of you're absolutely right. It's a lot of the same hats, which is a lot of different hats. And Mm -hmm. and being a quality control coach and a GA, I mean, it really is a lot of similarities. I mean, you're going, you're doing uh, opponent scouting, you're doing self scouting, you're doing a lot of data breakdown. um, You're running the scout team, so actually, you're not that wrong. I mean, it basically is the same kind of job. Just ones at the NFL level. Ones, ones you're you're trying to get some freshmen that didn't want a redshirt. Hey, we, we got to do this. And then the other guy, it's like, hey, here's a scout card look. And that guy's going, well, if I don't do this, I'm getting cut. So it's a little <laughs> little easier at the NFL level to do it. Um, but yeah, it's a lot of the same stuff. I mean, it, it's just you you are you are assisting everything. Quality mm-hmm. control is a literal term. It is mm-hmm. you are truly checking the quality of everything. And I think sometimes you can focus on one position, but really you have to learn everything. You have to learn line play. You have to learn, I have to work with the quarterbacks. I have to work with the tight ends and all that. Um, I think graduate assistant, you can kind of split up those duties. And I think quality control, you kind of have to do everything. Yeah. <laughs> um, and maybe you actually have IT support when you're a quality control coach. Right. When, you're a GA, when you're a GA, you're supposed to be the IT guy. No question. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Depending on who your coordinator is, uh, more yeah. so than not. Uh, let me ask this, because obviously with both roles as well, there's some evaluation. I know when I was at Temple, uh, RGAs had a heavy hand in JUCO evaluations. When you're a QC, uh, you might be given a crossover position, depending on the, the coach that you worked with. Uh, what were some of the areas that, that you worked with from an evaluation standpoint? Yeah, so when I was a GA, I I focused on North Carolina, and then I was tight in the quarterbacks. But you know, we had a, we had a couple of our 
uh, recruiting guys that kind of took the lead on that. But for mm-hmm. me, it was quarterbacks, tight ends, and and just the state of North Carolina. Um, BJ Hill still to this day was like yep. my like my find, and it was like I still I couldn't I, I had him going to the camp and everything, and then oh my god, to this day I still remember <laughs> that. Um, but uh, but there's a few of those, and then even you know scouting assistant obviously was scouting, but then quality control. You know, they give you a list of guys. You're kind of at the the mercy of the personnel departments on the NFL teams. So, you know, as a quality control coach, it was like they gave me like some kind of middle round guys, late round guys that, hey, just take an eye on them, anyone that you like. Nothing like you have to write this report. It was more just like, hey, flag guys that you like, flag guys you don't like. Mm. Um, I had already come from scouting, so it was kind of like I wanted to do more. <laughs> so sure, I kind of yeah. watched a lot. I kind of watched a lot. But for me, it was, for me, it was quarterbacks and receivers when I was a quality control coach. That's really what I focused on because that's kind of who I worked with on a day-to-day basis. And was that what you worked with uh, when you were a pro scout as well, when you were down in Atlanta? So pro scouting, I uh, focused on the AFC West. Yep. Um, I, I, so my second year there, I was still technically a scouting assistant. They kind of, they fudged the lines a little bit. And gotcha. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> um, at the time, I didn't care. I was like, "Sweet, yeah, what, what, let's do it." But yeah, the league, yep. uh, yeah. Um, so they, uh, so a pro scouting. So I did the AFC West, um, and then also I was doing quarterbacks and tight ends uh, mainly. And you know, we took up, swooped up a couple guys actually from the Broncos when I was in my time there. Did a lot of cross checking, and then also for college. Um, so that was more the pro scouting side. Yep. For college scouting, um, I we split up the positions just on basically we have to watch we did poa tapes point of attack tapes which is like it, it's a lot of work but it's a great way to initiate somebody to film watching it, yep. it's, it's putting that was the- how i started man we, we called them profile tapes in temple that was how i learned how to how to watch film no That's question how you it sucks. It takes time, but it, it helps. Yep. <laughs> it does. It, it's, it's, that's one of the times, sometimes people ask, like, what's the best way to learn this? Best way to learn this. Like, you just got to watch. You just got to, you got to have a project in your mind or a player you're watching and just focus on it. And then you just build up that Rolodex mm-hmm. and building up the Rolodex of traits, players, styles, uh, even schemes, what, what guys fit into what. And the only way to do that is be around the game. I've been mm-hmm. spoiled that I've been around it at a young age, so I can reference them all day more, you know, right. or, or, you know, some random guys uh, <laughs> that that played on the old Viking teams or the NFC Central, NFC North. So I've gotten lucky with that, but that's the best way to initiate guys. It's like, mm-hmm. hey, break down, break them down, watch every preseason snap. Hey, watch two other games, put put together a tape, highlights, lowlights, anything you can and can't do. Okay, put it on a tape and then you start. It leads to discussion sometimes, which is good. I, I think always just discussion. It, it, scouting is no one's ever perfect. So I might, in my mind, think this is like, this is my gospel. Um, but some person might never even heard that before. And you just talk about like a trade or something you've seen from an old player. And the only way to do that is watching tape. Right. <laughs> it is what it is. And uh, for our listeners, a POA, t- a POA tape or a profile tape, basically taking a bunch of game tapes and narrowing down, you know, p- p- basically pulling all the plays that, they could be good. They could be bad, but you can evaluate them. So it's something where you can really kind of pace the piece forward uh, and pass along to your superior to the position coach. Plays, 250 yep. plays and making it 40 to 50 plays. There you That's go. basically what you're doing. And there you go. You're, it's a snapshot. You're making a snapshot of the player. And it it is good stuff, but you – I've also learned too is you can't only watch the POA tape. You have no. to the profile tape. You have to watch every play. <laughs> it's right. the balance of everything. Uh, all right. So take us now. You're going into an evaluation, and we'll make this current day now. So you're sitting down to watch uh, Devonte Smith uh, for the first time here this spring. What? How do you get into the evaluation? Uh, how? Which games do you pick? How do you choose which games you're going to pick? Uh, what exactly are you looking to do to get the process started? 
you always, you always try to get to four games. Uh, I mean, that's the, the benchmark is you always try to get four true games watching every snap. Um, for me, for right now, it's funny because I'm on the college black market uh, uh, tape. So sometimes right, it's two yeah. games, sometimes it's three games, sometimes it's seven, you know. Um, but with a lot of these guys is I, what I like to do is watch two games of, of I have my list. Sam doing receivers, like you said, Devontae Smith. Two games of everybody, of maybe the top 20, 25 guys, 30 guys. That way I can kind of get like a bar, a parameter where everybody's at and put my initial gut feeling on everything. My initial notes, initial just unfiltered thoughts, blah. Then I like to circle back and kind of like finalize the report. And sometimes watching other guys at the position, maybe you just decompress on the guys. Sometimes you're in a bad mood and you hate a guy. I mean, we're all human. It is what it is. That's what I like to do. That's what I've learned. And actually this past spring really kind of finalized my process for that. Mm. So in picking games, I like to kind of break it up like one per month or generally, okay, maybe there's an early season, good matchup. Okay. I like to see it later in the season because guys develop, you see how guys play when they're banged up, which I think is so important at the NFL level because that's what it is. You're always hurt. (laughs) There's not many true freaks that are not banged up in the NFL season, especially as the season's getting longer. So I like to see the games in November a lot because then weather comes comes into play. Just all the – nothing's perfect, and I like that. I want to see how a guy plays. Anyone can be good on one day. It's how consistently good you are. And that's why, I mean, the old scouting adage is he can consistently win or he consistently dominates competition. And that matters. It really does. So for me, it's, you know, try and find a game early, see if there's a little flash shot or a snapshot of that. And then I'll try and pick good competition. And then I also like to look at one, maybe a middling conference opponent, mm. you know, uh, uh, Vanderbilt. <laughs> um, if it's Devontae Smith or Elijah Moore in the SEC, you know, playing Vanderbilt. If it's in the Big Ten, um, I, I don't want to like ride for it. Maybe it's a Nebraska this year or so. <laughs> I'm trying to find a team that sure, Northwestern, yeah. Northwestern Indiana were decent last year. That's <laughs> so right. I can't say them, but, you know, a middling team. Because I, I kind of want to see, okay, are they dominating the competition they should dominate? And or or is this team that's middling? If they're the star player, is this opposing? Say it's just a player that's like Rashad Bateman's perfect. He yeah. Minnesota. Once Johnson left, he was kind of the weapon. How do other defenses play against him? If it's a really middling competition or bad competition, they're probably going to have a game plan against the best player. How does he react to that? Which is and that's what I really like to look for. So that's sometimes mm. why I like to watch maybe lesser competition um, against these guys. And yeah, that's kind of my process. It's kind of like two games, maybe three games to start. Circle back with one to two two more games after that. And then like for me now, being outside the NFL and being um, trying to find tape any way possible, you kind of sometimes have to watch a TV copy. Um, sometimes yep. you do, and I do. I do actually, especially receivers. I do actually like watching the the season long highlights after I'm all done watching the guy because there might be a game I didn't watch, and I'm like, oh man, that was a pretty good play. Maybe I'll go check out that game because mm-hmm. sometimes you just, and that's almost like a POA tape anyway. <laughs> right, sure. Just just some fan made it for me <laughs> on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, you'll have so if had some uh, selective music behind it, and you'll be you'll be good to go. Uh, when you when you talk, you talked earlier about like trying to see how a an opponent would try and play against the guy. I, I think that's interesting, and especially considering your background as a quarterback. Do you feel like it, when you're looking at that, do you find yourself trying to make sure don't get lost in the X's and O's, don't get lost in the X's and O's yes. uh, to make sure you're locked in on the player and the traits? Yes, especially receiver. And yeah. I'm really hard on running backs. I've realized, too, is 90% of run, college running backs suck in protection. And I got to realize, hey, it's, it's a work in progress. Like, you know, it's more you're looking at – 
the process of for them? Did they have good eyes? Did they, you know, did they look like they were aware or was it just like they're guessing? Like, so those are the things you try to look at. I, I found myself a little harsher on some of the skill position guys, like, you know, and especially receiver. Um, yeah. Like Brandon Ayuk would be a great example for me. And it was a lesson learned. I, I was, a I was a little lower on him. I didn't crush him or anything, but a little lower on him than I think some other people were. And what I said in it, I watched him and, not everyone's going to run a full route tree and not everyone's going to be, you know, I expect some of these guys to have a little more polish to their game, especially with route running and just feel and everything. But I got to realize some of these guys are playing in a no huddle offense where they're running 110 plays, 105 plays. Some of these guys are just taught, run this route, get the space. Some of the, you got to realize what are they taught and what they actually have to do. Yep. Um, that I, a huge lesson I learned, especially with offensive line play about six, seven years ago, in the Pac-12 and Big 12 was like they're running 110, 120 plays. You'd see and I was kind of dogging some old linemen, kind of going like, man, they're not finishing. You know, they kind of want a little more compete, you know, a little more toughness to them. And then it's like, yeah, because he's gassed. Right. Sure. <laughs> he's, he's running. This is his 14th play of the series and they haven't huddled once. And then also you learn, too, it's like that's what they're taught. You learn that some of those guys are going just line up. Don't finish the block. Just line up for the yep. next play. We're trying to beat them a speed tempo context. And that's something I've had to learn, especially coming from the NFL, where everyone runs kind of more or less the same types of offenses. Everything's kind of more cookie cutter where you can really have a parameter. It's you really got at the college level. You have to put everything into context with the coaching, the scheme, the conference they play in and everything. Introducing season two of the Return Game podcast, Birds, Boys, and Bad Blood, presented by NovaCare Rehabilitation. When it comes to the Eagles-Cowboys rivalry, you think you know the whole story, but there is more. So, so much more, and we're about to uncover it all. And I think back to some of my favorite memories in the rivalry, and I remember exactly where I was who I was with, what I was doing for so many of these games. Lito Shepard's interception to ruin T.O.'s return to Philly. I remember leaping off the couch in my house where I grew up and nearly punching the ceiling. I jumped so high. The pickle juice game. I was actually on a family vacation in Disney World. We made sure we were back at our hotel so that we did not miss that game. 44-6. to I remember I was watching that game from a bar near the mall where I was finishing up Christmas shopping earlier that day. I was with one of my best friends. Obviously, we couldn't miss the game, so we made sure we were geared up. We had a good spot in front of a big screen. We went through like 18 plates of appetizers that day. And I have these memories because these games meant so much and continue to mean so much to us as Eagles fans. So if you want to relish some of those great moments in the rivalry, be sure to go subscribe to Return Game and Eagles Entertainment original podcast. Subscribe now wherever you listen to podcasts. I don't I don't want to butcher this story. And this is a little, you know, this is, we're, we're going back here, but uh, Joe Green coming out of North Texas, one of the the knocks on him was, oh, you know, the motor was inconsistent. And I believe this comes from Bump Phillips, I believe. And I, I might have to like go go and double check uh, my reporting on this. But I believe what, what Bump Phillips had passed down was like, hey, look, like no one on that UNT defensive front is chasing the ball. Like they're not, they're not being coached. They're not, be, it would be, it'd be one thing if everybody was being asked to do this. But the fact that he's not the only one doing it, uh, that kind of eases it a little bit. It goes to your point that uh, if you're not, if you're not coached to be that way, then it's, it's tough to crush that guy. And that's, a, and that's just, and it's so hard sometimes unless you don't know, like sometimes right. you're just like, Oh yeah, that assistant coach isn't very good. So right. I'll, I'll let it slide. But you don't know. Sometimes this guy could be an amazing coach mm. and the guy's just not listening. And that's, it's right though. But like me and Joe green, that's like, that's hilarious. It's uh, uh, we had one of the D linemen this off season, justice Mosqueda. He was watching a guy and he's like, they switched the the scheme they used. And it was more of a two gap scheme for this D lineman. 
And he goes, he had to watch old film to see him in a one gap scheme and actually see him fire off the ball. Yep. And it was like, when he watched that, the guy looked great. And then when he watched the two gap, he was like, he was fine, but he wasn't a freak. He wasn't, he didn't go to the traits, but it was like, that's what he was taught to do. Sure. And now you have, it's what it's can't or won't. That's what you always have to figure out. Is it, can you do it? Or is he just doesn't want to do it? <laughs> no question. Yeah. You talked earlier about the influence that Paul Christ had on your career. Is there uh, anybody else that you would be able to bring up that you would say like, yeah, this guy's been a great influence on me. And then I guess the, the second part of that question would be what were some of how do you feel that your lens has been shaped by your influences? Are there things that you look for? You know, we talked about like how you, how opposed opponents are trying to play against the guy you're studying. Is there anything you feel like is specific to, to how you approach the process? Yeah. I mean, obviously the number one influence is my dad. Uh, yeah. I mean, just for better, or for worse, there's some things I disagree with him on and how he evaluates guys, but he's pretty good with a couple of positions. <laughs> so right. I uh, definitely <laughs> want to listen, definitely want to listen to him when he talks about line play. Um, but you know, it, it's fun to talk to him because he has, I, I've, I've realized how much he's imprinted some things on me and mm. I didn't realize it until I got older. And I was like, Oh yeah, maybe that's why I like this, and that's why I like this. Like every running back to me, I'm gonna reference him again. Is I want to, uh, I want every running back to be Moelde Moore. <laughs> like, right. I, just, I want him to be some three down good back. You know, not great at anything. It's just funny how that works. But every defensive guys, tackle's Kevin Williams. Every corner's yeah. got to be Antoine Winfield. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, some fitted up guy. Yeah. Oh, I know. Every everything. Dante, every quarterback has to be Dante Culpa for big and right. athletic and throw it 70 yards. Like, yeah, I know. It's just funny how that works. Like I know. And other people influence me. Um, Steve Sabo, uh, who is the director of player personnel for the Falcons. Yep. He was he was the college director when I was with the Falcons. He has been huge just because he gave me an ear um, sometimes when I just had my crazy theories or ideas, like because that's just kind of when I watch film, I just I don't know. <laughs> I can get to a point where I'm just like, I'm just whacked and throwing stuff on the whiteboard and stuff. And he would always give me an ear, even though, you know, I was in that role. He was like, yeah, let's go. Let's talk. And I always appreciated that. And some of the tidbits he, he's given me over the years, um, Chris Ballard, he was a badger. Um, I've known him. He was with the bears when my dad was with the bears. So I kind of got to talk to him a lot. Um, and he's over the years just been great and just kind of taught me about process and things like that. Paul, Chris, obviously. And then even, just looking at body types and everything, a uh, big influence on me was Joe Rudolph, who's now the offense coordinator at Wisconsin. He was the tight end coach when I was there. He was offense coordinator at Pitt when I was the GA. And he, I, I, I think he's one of the better talent evaluators I've ever been around. Mm -hmm. And just he's a great coach. It's just that he really understood just body types and development. And like that is like is. by far the, the the thing I am worst at. It is that I like can't even wrap my head around being able to watch a guy that's a uh, a fullback in high school and say, "Yep, that guy's gonna be a three hundred twenty pound nose tackle." And it's like all yes. like blows my mind. He is so good. And it, uh, it's one of those things that I had to be like, I got to be a little more creative with mm. how I project these guys. Like, mm. cause he'll go, okay, yeah, this guy, uh, he, he did shot put, plays basketball. You know, he's not decent at basketball, but he's 220. So, you know, if he did this and, or he's 280, if he was 250, he'd be a lot better. And then, oh yeah. And he's just moved to DN. Like he just remembers every little context and he can like figure out the puzzle. Mm. And it's, he's one of the, he's one of the best I've ever been around at just doing that. And that was at the college level. Um, but it's still, it's, it's a fa like you said, it's fascinating. Like, Oh yeah, this guy was a running back. Yeah. We're going to make him a three tech right. <laughs> and, then, and the guy works out or this guy was a, a receiver. He's going to be our left tackle in three years. And then it's like, yeah, in three years, there's that guy, 310 pounds. Like, you know, <laughs> it works out, but yeah, he's, he's one of the best ones I've ever been around. We had, uh, we had a couple defensive tackles when I was at Temple. We had Terrence Knighton, who went and played. He played in the league for a while. Uh, yeah. He was an all-state receiver in Connecticut. 
Uh, and obviously, he, I mean, he had pot roast was his nickname because of just how massive he was of a human being. And Andre Neblet uh, went down to the Panthers. He was saying that he was a fullback in Jersey. Uh, same thing. It's un- unreal. Um, it's always the East Coast guys, too. It's like Wisconsin <laughs> recruits Jersey and sure. Philly and stuff like that. I know it's funny. It would be some, there was some, some South Jersey receiver. And it's like, oh, yeah, this guy's going to be a great DN for us. <laughs> right. What do you feel like are your biggest strengths as an evaluator? Um, I just, um, just no knowledge of the game. Um, I, I, I think what I've been lucky, lucky enough, like even just talking about my background, I've been in scouting and coaching and I've been blessed enough to just have time with both and not just like, Oh, there for a month. And with both, I I've learned to put things into context, just as we were talking about with Joe Rudolph, but it's learning what does translate. Mm-hmm. Hey, um, I think one of my best things I can do, and I won't say like work smarter and not harder kind of thing, but it's more, you watch those 60 to 70 plays of a guy, what 12 to 15 plays are actually plays. Like and some of that's POA tape, but some of that's just translatable to scheme that's happening in the NFL. Because I think sometimes with guys when they're watching college is they don't realize what the the meta, what the what's actually happening in the NFL, what the trends of the NFL are. They might just go, oh, yeah, when, I, when I'm there for that three weeks in camp, like this is what's happening. But not understanding what's the trends of the league. And I think that's what's helped me is I kind of go like, oh, this guy would be good for a match scheme. This guy would be good for, you know, the Shanahan outside zone scheme. You know, of course, everyone knows that stuff. But I've just kind of like put it in a ballpark. But I think that's what really helps me. And also just I was a quarterback. My dad was an O-line coach. So I kind of got exposed to different plays. I just didn't always focus on the passing game, didn't focus always on the passing game. I focused on the little things, the interior play. And that's helped me so much because my dad kind of forced it because <laughs> it was always just like, he was like, remember? Oh well, yeah. But that was a good block by the left guard. Right. I'm like, yeah, okay. But the throw was great. Come on. <laughs> like, you know, but that it was good in the long run. It was good. But that, I think that's one of my, uh, my, my biggest strength is just, just overall knowledge of the game and just be able to see how it all translates and contextualize all of it. And what's an area where you're, you're hoping to continue to improve and uh, where you can say this is where I can get better corners Um, i i think i i have an idea in my head antoine winfield no i have (laughs) an idea in my head what a corner should be sometimes and maybe i can fall in love with trick i I just don't know it's like it's so hard for me to know what translates because Mm -hmm. i see a guy like an aj terrell i think he's going to end up being a pretty good player and watching him if you looked at his traits it's like it's okay you know it's good you know it's not outstanding but then it's like he plays better than that and I think corners and the and receiver, especially, it's a matter of situation you're in, of course, but it's all just the context of the film with the traits. Yeah. Because sometimes I can fall in love with the long guy. I can fall in love with, oh man, this guy's twitchy, but but then it's like he doesn't even know how to play the ball. Yeah. And I, I think corner is just one position I've always tried to get better at. I think I'm okay, but I, I just I, I can spot the obvious, which is good. Right. <laughs> I think that's the number one thing with corner. Just you can identify the good ones. All right, we're we're good. But just finding those maybe those late first, second rounders that actually stick or become a good player. I think that's something I just need to keep working on. And one way, like sometimes it's like just learning from my mistakes has been the best thing. Sure. Though. No question. I think that's, I think having self-awareness and going and anyone that wants to scout or just even you're just evaluating players is just realizing I was wrong on that guy. Okay. Why was I wrong? And then learning from that. And I think that's the best thing you can do from that. And I, it's something I've been better trying to get better at. I'm half Irish. I'm stubborn. I <laughs> sometimes don't like to admit I'm wrong, but it's like, that's what you have to do. You just have to be aware. That's like, I missed on that guy or I was too hard on that guy or I was too to, I, I love that guy and I ignored all the mistakes with him or ignored all these deficiencies. And I think coming from that is what helps. 
my last question for you, since you've taken to the Twitterverse, uh, you've been a part of this, the, the media machine of surrounding the NFL, the NFL draft. <laughs> is there an aspect of that process with the NFL draft that you feel is overrated? And is there a one that you feel is underrated? What's talked about too much and what's not talked about enough? QB pro days are definitely overrated. No question. Uh, yep. Oh my God. I did <laughs> not know how much people took, how much <laughs> credibility people gave those until like this past year, really. Yep. Um, I mean, I know pro days were needed more with the, with the combine and whatnot, but it, you got people, people have to put in the context of this stuff. Everything in football is becoming, you know, controlled. Uh, I mean, yeah, right. This process, it's, it is. It, the, when there's money, it's going to happen. <laughs> um, and I think what that is just sometimes with those pro days is that they're heavily scripted. You know, they're not, some guys like Zach Wilson wasn't even taking a snap. Like he was just handing himself the ball on his, like, so he gets the laces every time. Like those little things, it's like, it's a highlight show. It's a dunk yep. contest for quarterbacks. That's basically what it is. It's a trick shot competition. Hmm. Um, you know, in the 40, of course, I'm going to be the NFL hipster and kind of go, oh, you know, 40 is <laughs> overrated. Um, but it's funny, though, is that sometimes is, uh, you know, people in the league overrated as well. So yeah. the fans aren't too far different from that aspect a little bit. Um, I think sometimes some some of that's a little bit overrated and just really with the 40 times or some of that testing, you're just looking for the outliers. Oh, this guy looked like a four five guy and you ran a four eight or this guy looked like a four six guy and you ran a four four. Okay. What did we miss something? I think that's really more what it's for. Sometimes we blow up this guy that ran a four three four and it's like, he can't play football. Who cares? Yep. <laughs> you know? And then the guy that ran a four four eight at receiver looks great. And it's like, yeah, that's because you still have to play football. And I think so. Sometimes that's just a little bit overrated in that process. Did you ask underrated? Yeah. Well? The, the, on the other side of it, is there something that's um, not too there? Man, inter, uh, interviews, uh, mm. you know, the combine, yep. and that's so hard because we're not privy to them. And I yep. get that, and it's tainted sources and all that stuff. So I know we're not present in top 30 visits are really important. And just those interview process, that's why the combine is so important, not just medicals, but just that interviews. So you getting the guy on the board and trying to get him out of his comfort zone a little bit. I don't mean that in a mean way, is again, some of the stuff is becoming very controlled. You got agents that are prepping these guys interviewing these guys and getting their real selves out the mm -hmm. in a room and actually getting them talking and comfortable and talking ball. And I think you can just learn a lot from players in that aspect. And it's not even that hard. It's not even like you're asking the, the, the craziest questions in the world, but you can just start seeing how they learn, how they listen, how they communicate to you. And I think those interviews, especially quarterback, but every position really is how that's really underrated still. And it's just, it's, it's not an art form, but kind of is. And, but it's just, it's hard. It's hard to say that. And then just go, yeah, fans now you don't get, you're not privy to it anyway. So don't even worry about it, but it is a very, very underrated process, part of the process. And it's so funny that it is so underrated because it's the one aspect that you would think everybody would be able to connect with. It's like, yeah, like I go on job interviews or I interview people for jobs and I understand that that human element comes into play. And it's like, yeah, like yes. maybe this person's resume was better, but I just liked this person more. And that, yeah. so I want to bring that person into our building. That's exactly it. it. It's, you know, like one team that I always intrigues me is like what the, what the Saints do, because it really seems like Sean Payton is like, I got, I like this guy. Like, it seems like he right. finds his guys at the combine that he interviewed that he's like, this guy's intelligent. He has enough traits that I like. And then they just get him for better or for worse. It, they move up. They move up more than anybody in the NFL without question. anybody. And the, and I truly think it's just because he puts them on the board and just works at them. And mm -hmm. I think that's like why he loved Alvin Kamara, because I, I everything I heard about Alvin was that he was an incredible interview. And everyone was just like, well, you know, he didn't test great. You know, he transferred all that stuff. He's got the hoop ring. Like, but then it's like, but when you interview the guy, he's 
just a brilliant football mind. Mm-hmm. And so that's why it's it's so hard with some of these guys. There's quarterbacks that I know that I thought were going to be just these football savant geniuses. And it's like, oh, my God, they can't even get a play call out. And it's like right. it, it's shocking sometimes. So that's why I just think that that stuff is just, yeah, like you said, with work, it's like you never know. Sometimes this guy could be testing. Everything's great. But then you interview him. You're like, no. No, I don't care what your resume says. And then vice versa. You could have some doldrum guy that you think is in the doldrums and you interview him like, maybe this guy, we, we should maybe give this guy a second chance. That's it. Same uh, exact thing. No question. Well, uh, Nate, this has been awesome, man. Thanks so much for joining us here on the Journey of the Draft podcast. Uh, we'll hope to have you on again soon. Thank you so much. This is great. Well, great stuff there from Nate. Hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. I know I learned a lot. It was great catching up with him about his process and his background and his influencers. So much information there uh, to take and uh, some good lessons to take forward. And I hope uh, some of you that enjoy this process, that like watching players, you were able to apply that to your process because there are things that we can learn uh, from everybody all across the entire business. Thanks so much to Nate. Thanks so much to all of you. And again, the best thing you could do for us right now this time of year, go on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating, leave us, leave us a review. We'll be back in a couple weeks breaking down this 2022 NFL draft class. We started conference previews just in the, in the, the month of July. We're starting, so we're only a couple weeks away now. Make sure you subscribe right here to the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand. Download the official mobile app of the Philadelphia Eagles. Catch breaking news, see real-time stats, watch live or on-demand video clips, listen to Eagles podcasts, and so much more. Now you can stay in touch with the Eagles anytime, anywhere.